0: Today's podcast is about a recovery mission that I performed with Dive Rescue International in Pinedale, Wyoming, at a lake called Fremont Lake. It happened in 1994 on October 27th, and it was very cold, and it was high altitude, and it was deep water. The local dive team called Dive Rescue International to solicit help because when the aircraft crashed on this lake with two guys in it, a pilot and a co-pilot, they were overwhelmed by the magnitude of the disaster. And the depth and, and they knew the complications of this recovery would be significant. So they were very wise as a dive team to call for help. So Dive Rescue International put out the feelers to instructors around the country. And I was one of those instructors for that organization that was asked to participate in this aircraft and body recovery mission. It took over three days for us to recover these two gentlemen, and I actually recovered the first guy, and it was kind of on an accident. And what was going on was the aircraft had settled at about 120 feet, which was just about the no decompression limits for a diver without gases or without significant stops. And most of our divers were going to go down for 10 or 15 minutes at a time, so there was a significant amount of staged decompression that they would do as they came up from depth to the surface eventually. And it would take a diver nearly 45 minutes sometimes to get all the way through the different stages of decompression. Our plan was simple. We had three directives, which was all divers come back safely, recover the bodies first, if possible, and then the aircraft was the third priority. We actually were able to do all three, accomplish all three missions. Uh, The divers actually were all safe uh, during this operation, but it was not without grave risks. In fact, we had a fixed-wing aircraft out of Salt Lake City, on standby for the hyperbaric chamber, uh, which is in Salt Lake City, uh, in order to help a diver if they had problems and complications from the high altitude, deep water, and cold weather. I was on lift bag operations on the the day that we recovered the bodies. The, the The recovery again took about three days, and as a lift bag operator, my job was to go down with another diver, had scuba tanks under my armpits, had one on my back, and I would put a bag on the aircraft, which was tied together with a with a A big cargo straps and a steel cable attached to pontoon bridges on the surface. We were lifting this aircraft at about 30 feet at a time by putting these airbags on this cable. And we would go down to around 60, 70 feet to do this. And then we would lift it uh, to that level. And then we would swap out divers. As I was doing the lift bag operations, I noticed uh, as the aircraft started to come up from the bottom, it was completely mangled. It was like somebody had taken a tin can and shot it with a shotgun multiple times. And it just wasn't recognizable as an airframe. The bodies were wrapped up inside the aircraft. One of the gentlemen, without getting too gruesome for you, knew he was dying. And you could see that in his frozen expressions and just the absolute horror on him. And that was a little disconcerting as the bodies and the aircraft came into visual range for me. The second guy, whose name actually was David, was about 350 pounds uh, big man when he was dry. So now he was in the water for two or three days, and he, so was a lot heavier. He had no face, and all that was left was spinal column and hair on the back of his spinal cord with a little bit of tissue. And again, not to, trying to be too graphic, but this is relevant to the story because as they were coming up, I noticed that Dave was coming out of the aircraft. And he was coming out of the aircraft to the point where I felt like I needed to extract him, it was the, uh, the third day of this mission. The winds were extremely high on the surface. It was snowing off and on. The water was cold. It was really ice cold. Uh, ice was not formulating on the top of the water yet, but it was crystals uh, in some of our gear. And we were all getting burned out. We only had so many divers that could dive. And we had to make sure that we didn't take too many risks, that we terminated this exercise or this operation as soon as possible safely with success on the three missions. Diver's safe, bodies come out, aircraft recovered. The aircraft had hazardous materials in it with, with aircraft fuel and hydraulic fluid and oils. And it was a glacier lake, very pure. So we wanted to make sure that was kept that way. As I determined to pull Dave out of the aircraft... The other diver that was with me, who was a senior diver, he kind of told me, don't do it. Shook his head. No, 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 no. And I, I felt very strongly that I needed to do this. There was tremendous tension on the cable, I would find out later, to the point where the incident commander up top thought that we were going to lose the aircraft eventually and the bodies. So the aircraft had settled at 120 feet, yet the glacier was about 600, 700 feet deep. And the shelf where the aircraft had settled on the bottom was right next to the ledge that vertically went down into the deeper part of this glacier lake. So if we would have lost the aircraft as it had floated over the the deeper parts of the lake, which it had, the mission would have been a bust. There's no way we could have recovered any of it without some kind of a submersible submarine or device like that. I pulled Dave and I had to amputate part of him to his arm to get him out as he was tangled up in some heavy cables. That wouldn't have stopped him from falling out of the aircraft eventually as things tugged and moved. He'd been in the water for a few days. But it was enough to prevent me from just extracting him. So as I did that, then I turned around and I bear-hugged him from the back. And I had him with my arms around his waist. And as I pulled him from the aircraft, he started to take me to the bottom. And as I was descending, I was airing up my dry suit which is completely dry inside. You're not wet inside normally. And I might have looked like the Pillsbury Doughboy. I was putting so much air in this thing. Then I aired up my buoyancy compensator, which is the vest that we wear that's attached to our tank or tanks. And that has a lot of lift in it. And even with my dry suit and my buoyancy compensator inflated as much as possible, I could not get positively buoyant. And David kept on taking me to the bottom of this deep, glacier lake as this happened and I had Dave bear hugged his spinal column and the back of his scalp with his hair was flapping in my mask my helmet and my face the whole time and I actually had this really crazy thought it's kind of nuts I know as as I was pulling him out I looked at his leatherman's tool on his belt and I thought well if I lose David when I pull him out here I should at least put that in my vest so I could give that to the family as some kind of at least a token of their father or husband. Not knowing if he was married or had kids at the time, but knowing that maybe that would be meaningful. There's some background psychology inside of that concern that I had. A, I guess I thought I would survive and live, which is good, because I would be able to give them the gift or the, or the token of their father or husband. And secondly, I knew that the risk of losing him was real. As I descended, I put my legs together and I dolphin kicked with both legs together aggressively, which is one of the strongest mammal kicks that we have as humans with fins on because the largest muscles of your body are combined all the way from the ankle all the way up to the hip flexors to generate motion. I still could not get positively buoyant. I was descending. The deeper I went with the cold water, the temperature outside, the amount of time I've already been in the water, I was in trouble. I thought I should let go of David, but I can't. Because I remembered all divers come home safely. Well, that might not happen if I continued this. Number two, I can't lose the guy because I would let everyone down. And that was the most prominent thought that I had. I cannot let everybody down. I would rather hold on to him and try to find a solution to my problem. Well, I was running out of time because once I hit a certain threshold of about 100 to 120 feet, I would be past the no decompression table limits and probably be a candidate for the hyperbaric chamber in Salt Lake City. All of a sudden, the guy that was with me had come down to my aid and grabbed the stem of my valve on my tank on the back near my neck. And then he aired up his buoyancy compensator in his dry suit. I could see him arching his back as the scalp and spinal column was flapping into my mask as I looked up over my shoulder to look at him. And I could see him finning with a dolphin kick as well. And then I, as I combined my kick, I started to slow down and finally got neutrally buoyant. And once you're neutrally buoyant, I was able to finally get positively buoyant. And then I had to actually start deflating as we started gaining momentum to get to the surface. When I got to the surface I handed the body off to the team that was eagerly awaiting him. There was a little bit of controversy with the other diver I was with and whether I should have or shouldn't have extracted David. And that went away very quickly as the incident commander informed us that he was considering extracting them at that time because of the severe winds on the surface. So I had been prompted to do this. I had acted upon it. It was actually a good thing, but a... But a very intense experience. And as I sat on the surface and had a blanket around me and I had one guy come up to me. He was an older diver who had been around doing recovery operations for about 35 years. He said, how many does this make for you? And I said, in open water like this? I said, this is my first one. <laughs> and he looked at me and he just shook his head. He goes, wow, you picked a doozy for your first one. He goes, the team has decided to let you have the opportunity and the option to go get victim number two, if you'd like. As if that was some kind of an honor, which to this day, I'm still not too sure why that would be the case. But I respectfully declined and I sat on the surface and contemplated what had just happened in the near miss that just took place. The moral of this story today, sometimes we hold on to things and we never let go. We refuse to let go because we can't A, let somebody down or B, let go of the baggage. Whether that you're, that's being you're offended by somebody or, or most likely that's often the case. We've been hurt or angry. We decide to hold on to it till it takes us to the very depths and destroys us. If we're lucky, sometime somebody will come to our aid. Somebody will add to our efforts to overcome this descending deep gravity that's taken place upon us, this pressure. When we go deeper in water, air gets compressed and everything gets compressed, our tissues, our organs, to the point where there's a certain limit for human beings before they get crushed and they can no longer function, the body can no longer function. The same is true as we hold on to this baggage in our lives. There comes greater pressure and more intensity and our functionality decreases because of this pressure. And as somebody comes to our aid and combines their efforts with ours to help lift us, we are able to get positively buoyant and shed the weight without letting anybody down, without losing our primary, secondary, or tertiary mission. It's a wonderful thing that we have as human beings the ability to have friends and family and religious leaders and mentors and people that we can trust and respect. But beyond all of that, there is a heavenly power and source through the Savior Jesus Christ, through his atonement, his suffering, his, his sacrifice for us that enables us to partake fully of the blessings to release, to release the pain, to release the offense to release the burden of sin or whatever it is in our lives that's causing us to slowly or rapidly descend and be crushed. I'm grateful for that experience I had in 1994. There's been many moments in my life since then where I've reflected how often I hold on to things that I don't really need to hold on to. And I'm not suggesting at all I didn't need to hold on to David, I did. Because after that call, Unbeknownst to her, I met his wife. We did a debriefing after this incident. That was a significant debriefing with everybody involved, family members, everybody who was on scene. Then we split everybody out, and we did a debriefing with just 911 personnel. Then we split everybody out, and we did one more debriefing with just the divers that actually operationally dove. And that debriefing was a lot different. It's part of what's called a critical incident stress debrief to help people like me that did that to deal with the trauma and the impact psychologically of the event. And it's a really powerful thing. After we were done with the third debrief, I walked out the door and this lady met me. Now we have a rule that says you don't tell anybody who did what. you You remain anonymous so that the team gets the credit for the deed, which is appropriate. Because there's no one person in this this operation. We had about a five to one ratio for surface support versus the divers. For every diver in the water, there was five to ten people on the surface making it so that that could happen. She looked at me. She embraced me. And she says, I just want to thank you for what you did. I kind of said, no problem, man. I'm glad to be here, glad to help. I then found out as she left, somebody said, that's the wife of the man You recovered, David. And I thought, what a blessing it is to be able to bring him home. What a blessing it was to give him a resting place, a place, a marker in the ground, perhaps in the future, where her and her children, if she had any, could go visit David at a place and pay respect. I hope today you have a wonderful day. And I hope that if there's anything that's driving you to the ground and or taking you to the depths of the abyss, that you find a way to release it by engaging friends and family and mentors and even those that are on the most high side of our lives. Have a great day. This is Jaeger.